0: Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm Farajasat. This week we have a brilliant event for you that we hosted on our stage in London this week. We had a group of women of colour speaking on stage about their lives, their achievements, their goals, their dreams and their reflections to their younger selves. It was called Trailblazers, Letters to My Younger Self and we had a cast of amazing guests who had specifically written and then performed letters that they'd written to their younger selves. Our panel consisted of Eniola Aluko, the sporting director for Aston Villa women and former professional footballer, Bonnie Greer, the playwright and author, Afua Hirsch, the journalist and writer, Shappi Korsandi, the comedian, and the panel was chaired by Clara Amfo, the BBC One radio presenter. If you enjoy this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the
1: episode. What a beautiful, beautiful turnout. Thank you so very much for joining us. Well, yeah, you've seen what it says there. Welcome to Letters to My Younger Self. So, my name is Clara Ampho, and I'm joined by these four incredible women to go through all of our childhood trauma in a series of letters. It's going to be fantastic no but in all seriousness you know know what they do say that youth is wasted on the young and I think sometimes wisdom can be so I think for all of us it's going to be a great chance to sort of talk to our younger selves impart some knowledge on uh, those young women uh, before you know the world sort of hit them with god knows what and hopefully you guys will walk away with something useful um, as well I mean (laughs) it's funny backstage we're all just having like a a little pre-chat and already the word imposter syndrome came up Up, and I wanted to touch on that before we all get into our letters. Every person on this panel has got something valid and important to say. Nobody here is an imposter. Everybody who's come to to hear us speak today, none of you guys are imposters. We've all got our experiences, we've all got our letters to share, essentially. And tonight, you're just going to hear five. So, you know, I hope after this evening, uh, you're encouraged to maybe write letters to your younger selves to help you with some healing, perhaps, or, you know, to help a friend. Do do, do you get what I'm saying? I know I'm feeling a little bit. (laughs) You you get what I mean. Um, So first up, we thought we would start with Bonnie Greer. Take it away.
2: This is a letter to my younger self. And unlike probably most of you in this uh, room, I really do have a younger self, a really younger self. So I'm talking to her. I know that you've been brought up very carefully. Your father survived life as a very outspoken boy growing up in rural Mississippi during the Depression. Your mother was the eldest of five. Her father died young. Her mother was alone, and she had to be a responsible young lady, your mother. It was very important for black women and girls to go about meekly, quietly, because the world was so dangerous then. Your neighborhood was dangerous too, the one you grew up in on the west side of Chicago in the 50s. There wasn't much room in the apartment your father bought for his growing family. You slept on the bottom bunk while your younger sister slept above. She liked to jump out of the bed in the morning, leap like Superman, she said. You were the dreamer, the imaginer, the eldest child and the eldest girl, no time for dreams. And besides, you were no rebel. You adored your mother and wanted to be near her, help her, comfort her. So you kept your head down and thoughts to yourself. You said nothing as you lay awake on that bottom bed and heard the gang initiations just outside your window and the gang rape which passed for that initiation. That was confusing as an eight year old because it did not sound like pain or fear. Maybe the women were pretending, but you were too young to know. Then, Monash, you were between nine and 10. The doctor told you and your mother that something would happen soon, but your mother hid you. She hid the sanitary pads and your bloody underwear and your pain and your confusion. She hid your uniform skirt with the blood patch behind it because the blood flowed so much and you were too young to take care of yourself. Those big cotex pads, the embarrassment of it all, and then breasts and having to be quiet, having to develop a persona to hide that self that had so many questions, so many points of view. No space, no room then. Just as a teen, you became an activist as best you could. It was hard and rigid in those days with black people because blackness was being defined and if you deviated, if you did something different, you were denounced literally in front of people and told not to say a word while a big brother in a big afro and a big beard read out the charges against you charges like talking to white people. That was bad. Very bad. But because you've always been interested in what is not you, the foreign, you found a way. It had to be devious. It had to be quiet. It always had to be quiet. You managed to develop this persona which deflated people, made them think you confident and knowing so that you could protect this secret self. You knew enough, felt enough to be able to do that. But these efforts constitute a useless life. Not that your life is useless, never, but your attempts at controlling it are because you are what you are. That sounds like something that Popeye would say, and he's right. I am what I am. There's no going away from that. You cannot change it. You are what you are. So fall in love with an inappropriate person. Be with him. Be with her. Even though the local branch of the Black Liberation Movement will haul you up to the desk for ridicule, leave your home. Always leave your home because you're not truly grown up unless you do. Mama's apron, because whether Mama is literally Mama or your community or your culture or your country, with love and with gratitude, those ties must be cut. You are alone, not lonely, but alone. Never fear that. Ask yourself every day Am I being myself? Am I being myself? There are days that you won't know what that is, and I imagine that this lasts an entire lifetime, and maybe at the moment of death, all might be revealed. But check your authenticity in every situation People may be fools sometimes, but all people know a liar. Deep down in themselves, they know because we all lie. It's a survival mechanism. So if you do it, do it in the name of authenticity to protect or shelter it and also to save another's life. Never be a label. Never be a category. If a young black woman asks you When you're an older woman, a so-called elder, so-called wise in your years, and a supposed auntie, when the truth is that you're still that wild, young, searching girl inside, but you have to play your part as the elder, so you do, don't want to scare anybody. If this young black woman asks, what should I do, tell her, don't be a black woman, tell her. Not to take the label and jargon of others. Tell her, no matter how well-meaning and maybe even correct, onto herself. Find that person called a black woman. You find her, go on that journey, and you have to go alone. You may discover her, this black woman, and more. Say one of your favorite poems every day, like maybe mine. A poem written by a white man who could not show himself in 19th century America because he was a homosexual and he loved being that. He was that. But he hid himself in order to live in peace. But there is no peace from yourself. He was arguably the greatest male poet that America has ever produced. His name was Walt Whitman. And there you go again, free woman using what cultural studies will call the inappropriate for you. But love what you love and love who you love. And this is what I love. This is me, my core line from a a poem called The Untold Self. The untold want by life and land near granted. Now voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find. Now, Voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find. Sail with no compass out into the open sea. Be brave. I love you, young girl. I love you, younger self. I love you. And you can always call on me. Thank you. Wow. Wow.
1: I will never call you Auntie. Ever. Again. Um, Bonnie. <laughs> no, really. Uh, Bonnie, thank you so very much for sharing your letter. Thank you, thank
2: you all for hearing that. I really appreciate
1: it. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Really you, really, you really took us to your childhood home. I felt I was, I was watching your parents as, as you spoke. I mean, you have, I guess you have the, the most different upbringing from everybody on, on this panel in the, sense, in the sense of, you know, you were brought up in the south side of Chicago and you were brought up in an era, you know, where you, you experienced people that we, that we read about with so much admiration in, in real time, you know, Martin Luther King. Tony Morrison, James Baldwin. How was it to, to experience those people in real time and find your, your own voice as a young activist, as, as, as a writer? Was, was it, was it difficult to find your voice amongst that? And I say this respectfully, amongst that noise.
2: I think I'm, I'm just starting to realize that I was, I came of age with two different definitions of blackness. There was Dr. King and there was Malcolm. And you went, you had to negotiate between those two and there were contradictions. Um, I grew up in a gang neighborhood. So gang neighborhoods are always the same. They never change. They never change. So what's going on here is exactly the way it was in America 50 years ago. It's no different. Mm -hmm. Um, I think um, because my generation gave everybody all the labels. We were the label generation. My generation of women invented the word black with a capital B. We invented black feminists. We invented categories. We invented all these things. I think we made a mistake. But I think this happens when you're young because people were trying to carve out our territory because our older brothers and sisters were going to lunch counters and getting, you know... Oh, food dumped on their heads because they were nonviolent, and we said we weren 't going to be like that, so um, I think in a way, we overlabeled everything because we were so busy trying to carve out our space. I was just thinking the other day one quickly, I knew Fred Hampton um, who 's leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party, who was assassinated by the police in his sleep. Um, he was about two months older than me, and I hear people now talking about what Fred Hampton would do. And, you know, everybody has to go on their path, so I don't intervene. But people talk about people like they think they know them. They don't know them. And we all do that, and it's a mistake. Um, and that's the thing I think my generation has done that isn't great. We gave you Trump and... Um, <laughs> We did, and we gave you this over categorization, over labeling, this judging, this, and it's. I think it's not any good.
1: With with the discussion on labeling, and with the discussion on people um, hurting, and you know um, us being very quick to say you're this and you're that, and that's that that. Um, you know, you recently met with an actor who has
2: caused a lot of controversy and I I want you to stress actor an
1: actor very important who has caused a lot of controversy recently um with his views on on race uh, and politics and and you decided to meet with that person um was that I guess paying forward this this wisdom that you that you that you've imparted on your on your younger self was that to kind of dispel the labels that you think Well, we're well remember,
2: too? I was on Question Time with Nick Griffith, and I lost a lot of friends because I said I was going to do that. Right. Because I was brought up by a father who had to leave um, Mississippi because he talked too much. And in those days, if you're a black boy and you're growing up in racial segregation, you didn't talk to any, you know, you kept your head down. So I was brought up by a father who said, if somebody wants to talk to you, you talk to them. Uh, And so that's what I did. He asked me a question, a specific question. He heard something I'd said. I answered his question. And that's what it consisted of. And I feel and felt that it was a private conversation, although he asked me on social media because there was no way for him to ask me. So everybody saw it. And uh, there was another person there, but I'm not going to out that person. And... um, because I feel a, you know, private conversation is a private conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chaffee, I'm looking at you like she's like, "Say it, say it, say it." No, go, go, Chaffey. I so want to know who the other person oh, was. No.
1: <laughs> but I'm respecting your
2: yes, yeah, important. Discretion. I mean, that person hasn't come out, and 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 he hasn't revealed the person either. So was um, it Nick Griffin?
1: Hmm? <laughs>
2: really? No, he he asked the question. It wasn't to to, to rap. It was a specific question and that's why I said that's a good question and uh, I will talk to you and give you an answer to the best of my ability and that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And
1: would younger you be happy? Would younger you be happy with with that choice?
2: I think the younger me would have tried to change him I think the younger me would have thought that was my job and I would have been upset if he had not changed his attitude the younger me would have done that Yeah, would have have actually spent the whole thing doing this and doing that and I didn't but in 2020 you're just trying to listen no I wasn't listening I was talking okay I wasn't listening because I heard it before
1: Miss Bonnie Greer thank you thank Thank you very much much. I'm going to get into mine now so one thing I know that I've accepted about myself as an adult is that I am a terrible procrastinator and that's yeah shout out to the procrastinator (laughs) I love that somebody applauded that. Thank you. I feel seen. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, but in all seriousness, and, and uh, I, yeah, I procrastinate. It's a bad habit of mine. I will always get stuff done, but um, I can I can do things at the I can do things at the last minute. Doesn't mean I don't care. I just I just need to work on being a better adult. Um, and I say this with full disclosure because tonight is about us, you know, speaking our truth, so to speak. I wrote this today, to be honest. No, I did. I did. I wrote it today. Um, because yeah, there's a lot going on and I just thought, well, look, this is going to be the most true version of what I'm thinking of what I would have told my younger self. So here we are. And yeah, how the hell do you follow Bonnie Greer? (laughs) Here we go. All right. Dear Clara, stop telling yourself that you ain't shit, that you're worthless, that you can't be loved and all the other variables. You've told yourself this consistently and quietly since you can remember. You're currently on an escalator in Waterloo, and you're hearing these words louder and louder. And you're feeling them even more so. You're crying a little, but you're trying to suck it up. These words are not true, by the way, but annoyingly, for your equally impatient and long Gemini (laughs) arse... it's going to take you about another six years to truly understand that they're not true and put it into practice. You will come to accept that although it is imperative to take accountability for your actions as an adult, you cannot continue to punish yourself for the actions of another towards you as a child. To be five years old is a sweet thing. It is to be pure It is to be full of joy, curious and unconditional with your love. You wanted to be all of those things and for the most part of your childhood, you were the loudest in the room, the last one off the afternoon birthday dance party, confident with adults and ready to shower affection on anyone who would make you their friend. In the quiet though, between school Sleep and weekends. That is when the effects of the secret you you keep will kick in. And I'm so very sorry I'm not there to coach you out of it. You will feel in denial. You will feel different. And at times you will even feel disgusted. But I need to tell you, it's not on you. This shame that you carry has officially become your song. You sing it to deny, you you sing it to deny, deny what happened when your mum quizzes you on the incident. You sing it in another room that you excuse yourself to when he or his family comes to the house. You sing it quietly when you know your brother doesn't quite look at you the same way. Or when you're learning about sex in school. You feel different. As you enter your inevitable awkward phase, bad hair will happen. (laughs) Do not relax it. (laughs) You know this now. You now know that those bitches who mocked your lips at school will be about that filler life. You know now that wanting to be validated by a romance is absolutely useless, especially if you don't feel any love for yourself. Again, we can't blame you. We just have to look around. You're in a school where 90% of your classmates don't even look like you. And we've discussed this already, little C. Some of them really don't want you to forget it as well. You haven't quite found the language to articulate what it is racist um, <laughs> and how this makes you feel plus you stay breaking your back with this terrible secret it's a lot hope is there though there is a spark on, there's a spark in you and you're gonna rely on it to survive this spark you can't quite explain it yet maybe it's your mother and her years and years of prayers Shout out to WhatsApp, Mama. (laughs) Maybe it's the vision of Lauren, of Whoopi, of Oprah, that imprint on you that makes you think that maybe it is possible. Maybe it's your comfort in local radio. Maybe it's your father's unshakable confidence. Because, dear girl, with all that shit you chat to yourself, this elusive spark will give you a wild belief in your place in the world that you just can't let go of. Now, don't get it twisted and conflate this with loving yourself. That will continue to take its time. Being successful is going to feel great. And yes, it will satisfy that petty part of your personality that you use to defend your tender heart. But guess what? No amount of success will protect you from how some of the world chooses to receive you, black and female. That's going to piss you off. Some days... You will feel ignited by the way the world receives you for those very reasons and you'll be blessed with the connection to the people you've been looking for your whole life. Despite the people in your corner or standing opposite, funny enough, it doesn't matter because that kid you spoke about, full of joy, curiosity and now older, with somewhat conditional love, was all you needed. She never left and isn't going anywhere, so watch her grow some more. So yeah, yeah. like I said, it's, it's Childhood Trauma Tuesday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I just have one question. I just heard of this the other day. Um, someone asked me this question myself and I didn't really understand it. But do you feel like an imposter? I
1: oscillate between feeling like I absolutely deserve to be anywhere I want to be and also thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's what it is. I yeah. Mean, but I think, w- yeah, what I spoke about in the letter is that,
2: is that defiance.
1: I, I don't know, I've just always had this thing that's like, no, no,
2: carry on. I, I yeah. wonder, because I'm really embracing my foreignness a lot. Mm-hmm. I've always held on to it. Because it lets you kind of stand outside. Do you think this culture makes people like that? I think
1: there is something really inherent in the sort of British sensibility about, you know, not getting above your station, not being too big for you. In fact, somebody actually tweeted me that the other day. I'd shared an opinion about about how um, crass I thought some people were being about Kobe Bryant's passing, and I thought it was in poor taste. Um, So just for context, have you ever found... I will get to the point, I promise you, but for context. um, Have you ever found when somebody in the public eye passes away, there will be people who may have met them once who will scramble to get that picture from 10 years ago just to post it, just to say, ''Look at me, I knew this person.'' And there is an insincerity in that, I find. I think, you can, I think in your gut you always know when it's sincere. And so I, I spoke about that. <clears throat> and this, this woman that I don't know, um, she screenshotted my tweet and put it on her Instagram stories and added me to say, oh, Clara, there she goes, getting above her station again, eye roll. And I was just like, okay, getting above my station. What do you mean? Radio 1? No. <laughs> um, but uh, I should have said that back, actually. but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, That's the petty part of my personality that I'm talking about. But I didn't say that.
3: No, but... Um, Can I ask you a question? Carl? Sure. Um, I don't want to fangirl you too much, but one of the things I love about you is that, and I don't know how much people know this about you, but I think... You're someone who functions with such integrity. I've Sorry. seen you, and you don't blow your own trumpet. I've seen you make decisions that you oh, can even compromise your career <laughs> based on, on your values. So I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you um, do you feel, as you become more successful and more visible, do you feel a pressure to compromise your integrity? And what values do you fall back on that make you stay true to what you believe in?
1: Um, I'm absolutely my father's daughter. I will say that forever. And this isn't in a boo-hoo, woe is me, way. my father passed away about five years ago, five years in March. And he had the most integrity of anyone I've ever met in my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Suck it up. <laughs> no, but he, he really did. And I think I wouldn't, he just carried himself in such a, in such a prideful way um, with so much poise, but everything was so methodical. I think I I just inherited that. And I think, you know... I say no to a lot of things. That's how I protect myself. I don't say yes to everything. Because I think, you know, doing the type of job that I do... um, there are always going to be arguments about ticking boxes and quota and you're just there because again going back to the know your place you're only here because and that can feed into that imposter narrative i remember when it was first announced that i i got my job at radio one i was taken over from my friend firm cotton and you guys are aware of like me and her you couldn't get two people <laughs> we are like chalk and cheese and i remember the very first, one of the very first like negative tweets I got <laughs> was from a guy, and I shit you not, his Twitter handle was at UKIP Mike or UKIP <laughs> I swear to God, I got no, I saved it on my iPad, and I, I still look at it and just laugh. And he was just like, "Oh, typical, You're just yeah, like because they're like ticking boxes." Rah, 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 rah. And I, and I had a bit of a back and forth with him because I thought, I'm not going to come back at you with, like, venom because what's the point? And that's one thing I've learned, I think, when it comes to sort of integrity. Like, don't get me wrong, if you catch me on the wrong day, I will clap back. When I've got time, <laughs> I will tell you about yourself. But um, but I just, I've, I've learned... I've learned to choose my battles wisely in the professional space, in the social space, because, you know... I, I've seen I've seen it and I've had to accept that I think, you know, the way that my opinion will be amplified positively with me or weaponised against me is is tenfold, I think, among you know, when compared to my non black like counterparts. I've just I've noticed it and I've and I've felt it, you know, I I've said things flippantly that, you know, that that people in in, who do the exactly same job as me have said but they look different to me and it'll be taken in two completely different ways so i think yeah it's just all about yeah choosing your battles wisely would would everybody like to hear another letter okay lovely well up next um and thank you so 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 very much for coming tonight by the way we sincerely appreciate your time uh next up it's (coughs) Shafi.
0: Quite nerve wracking this, isn't it? I wisecrack for a living. I don't always do, um yourself. <laughs> Yeah, don't normally do. Fly me. Right, get on with it. Okay. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Here I sit, age forty six, writing to you, and you're aged what? Fifteen? Eighteen? Twenty two? Or maybe you're ten. If you're 10, let me say first of all, you have a dog. You have a dog, it's done. She's a golden retriever and she's a dream come true. You also have two cats. In fact, let me reassure you that your future is chocolate block full of rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, and dogs. I'm afraid to tell you, though, that squirrel monkey never happened and never will. Let me tell you something else you're a mum. You have two children and they give you a deep, Joy that you can't express. It's impossible. They give you an excuse to stock Cocoa Pops in your cupboard long into your 40s and that's just the start. <laughs> Don't worry about teaching your kids anything. They will teach you. That's the way with kids, it turns out. Your job is to carry them and listen. Your boy is 12 and your girl is 6. When they come into your life, adventure truly begins and life becomes technicolour for you. They're both good at maths. You worried they would struggle, but they are both flying. You got D from your maths GCSE. You retook it and got an E. (laughs) You felt stupid at school. I wish I could step into the past and tell you how clever you actually are. I wish I could tell you that you are dyslexic (laughs) and you have attention deficit disorder. You find out about dyslexia in your 20s and ADD in your 40s. The relief of that diagnosis will be sweetness mixed with the sadness of the wasted time, thinking that you can change yourself by yourself. I'm sorry you didn't find the help you needed in the stupid 80s. Back then, you couldn't Google, why can't I finish a task? Now, you have always said, I don't want to be a mother, I want to be a dad, dads don't have to do the boring stuff they go to work and come home and just play with the kids well here's some news neither of your children's fathers stuck around so you get to be both (laughs) yay you (laughs) I'm trying to be cheery but you are a single mum. You support both your children financially by yourself.
2: <laughs> <clears throat>
0: your children have different dads. It turns out that all that Disney stuff about happily happily ever after was bollocks. You were raised to think that once, you, once someone loved you and you loved them, that was it. Marriage and babies, done. But going through your life with another human being with different needs and complexities, with wildly different upbringings and value systems, there's no easy way to say this, but your divorce from your son's father, it breaks you. You will not know how it's possible to be in that much pain and still be alive, You will be a pile of rubble when your son is only two. And you will build yourself. You will rebuild yourself while you raise him. You make a lot of mistakes. Don't beat yourself up about it. As he himself, the wise old owl, says, That's my son, not an actual old owl. It made me who I am today. Your your daughter is six and has never met her father. Why and how and what happened will be a story you will share with her when she's older. But until then, it's just your own. Just wait, younger me. Just wait for those times when you're with your children. They give you a reason to stay in. (laughs) They give you a home. Imagining the love and bliss right now is trying to imagine a color that doesn't exist. Just wait. You'll never know a deeper love or a deeper fear and worry They will refuse to wear coats in winter. (laughs) This alone will cause you great anguish. You'd think writing to a younger me I'll be full of wise advice and cautionary tales, but actually, I want to say thank you. Thank you for ploughing through and giving me today. Thank you, ten-year-old me. You made a solemn promise to yourself that you would never, ever have a proper job. I kept that promise. I hope I've done you proud. I promise you the Muppet Show, it's close. To 15-year-old me, I want to say thank you for finding the strength to get away from that awful predator you were infatuated with. The world will open its eyes to people like him and eventually what he did, this grown man, will be called grooming and sexual assault and we will understand that it is a crime. You didn't know this at the time. Do not be hard on yourself. There are quite a few things you're experiencing that you don't yet understand that you could actually release yourself from, like you know how it sometimes takes you four hours to leave the house and sometimes you have four showers a day and have to disinfect your hands? Well, that's part of a thing you have called anxiety and OCD. That's short for obs- obsessive-compulsive disorder. You'll realize eventually, but it will take some years before help finds you. I'm so proud of you for finding paths while you stumbled, stumbled around so long in the dark. Hey, some good news. Good news. Marriage between people of the same gender is legal now. It's law. (laughs) You were so upset after Colin and Barry kissed on EastEnders in 1989 because you became aware of homophobia. You were dismayed when you befriended a gay lad and a girl came up to you in Oliver's coffee shop and told you, if you hang out with him, you're going to catch AIDS and die. People like her are the abnormal ones now. To 18-year-old me, I want to say, I'm really sorry you're finding things hard. You can be so gregarious and talkative, but equally you go into a shell when you're in a situation or with people you don't feel safe with. You'll always feel intimidated by certain people, but in time, you will learn to turn your mind away from people who make you feel bad about yourself. You'll stop giving them your time. But for now, just know I'm so proud of how you carry on regardless. And um, that eating mountains of food and throwing it up, it's a disease. It's an addiction. It can be treated. You live in a time where there's no one to tell. But in years to come, many years I'm afraid, a thing called the internet will be invented and it will lead you to 12-step support groups which will change your life and make it beautiful beyond your wildest dreams. But 22-year-old me, you are in a fog. Bulimia and anxiety are robbing you. But I sit here, age 46, and I look at you, young and beautiful, standing on a stage telling jokes when you feel so wretched inside your own skin. And your head's in chaos. And I am so proud of you for trooping on. If, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Okay. I'm so proud of you for trooping on if I could reach you now I would carry you in my arms to a 12 step recovery group you will get there hey you know what this is going to really knock your socks off today I don't care if I look pretty or not like I really don't care also (laughs) thank you Maybe it's because I know that. Um, <laughs> also, also, I can have one-night stands and not care if we stay in touch. We do, though, because now I have... Thank you, I am the best. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I only have sex with people who are nice and kind and make me feel good, even if it's just for one night. Here's another thing you won't believe... Recently, a really, um, at, a, at a posh event, a man was really condescending and rude to me. I stood up for myself, but he didn't stop. He carried on being horrid. So I looked him straight in the eye and said, Fuck off. <laughs> it was, I can tell you, the most liberating thing. He apologized immediately. So finally, in your 40s, you can stand up to bullies. It's not something you can do right now, but it's okay. I've got your back until you can. You don't believe me now, but being single is a sweet freedom I've only just come to understand. You won't have the confidence to be single for a long time, but when you do, it'll make your time with your kids and your friends and your work more nourishing. Last thing, younger me. The most important thing. I love you. Can you hear me? I completely love you. Inside and out. Upside and down. Exactly as you are now. Today in all your ages. Despite everything you went through and put yourself through. For all that you felt lost and bewildered and overwhelmed. I think deep down you know that 46 year old you who has a house that your jokes bought and, did, and is raising children who are wise and kind and who can gently and politely tell souls to fuck off is already looking after you. She is, I am, do your thing, I've got you.
1: And repeat this, Shafi was the person who said, I feel like an imposter first yeah. when we we're in the room. And I just thought, like, you're incredible.
2: You know what, you, yeah. you, you opened a door for me. Wow. Um, I realized when you... I haven't had what's called a proper job most of my life. Ooh. And you know Why? Because I haven't fucking wanted one. Yeah. And I'm still here. <laughs> so thank you.
0: I'm
2: still
1: here. I've never had. <laughs> Here's not having a, a quote-unquote proper job, whatever, however you define that. Shafi, thank you so very much for, for sharing that. I mean, there's so much to discuss. I wanted to get into um, how... Um, how you coped with not having a language to describe the things you were going through and not having a a sort of an immediate sense of community because you know you describe you know like negging gaslighting being groomed assaults eating disorders like there's you, you literally have been through it all how did, how, did you, how did you navigate it at that time without having... Because we're, we're so spoilt now. As you say to your younger self, there's going to be the sink or the internet. <laughs> and you can find people.
0: Do you know, it makes me so um, happy when I hang out with younger people who use words like anxiety. I have anxiety issues. I didn't know those words. Um, we didn't know. We didn't talk about mental health. Um, I'm Generation X. We grew up in the 90s. We know we we thought that feminism meant matching the boys pint for pint, and putting stuff down to experience that were actually really painful. Um, it's not okay to feel shame after a one night stand. Something's gone awry, mm. you know. And um, it makes me um, feel really happy for younger generations. But the the thing that um, I struggled the most with um, was not having anyone to talk with uh, about um, bulimia. Even right now, I mean, you saw, that was really difficult to say it, to talk about it out loud. It's really difficult because all your life, if you do tell people, and even now I know who to talk about it to and who not to because the last thing you want is someone recommending you join um, Slimming World. Because um, like, it's not about you know I, I've I've realised that someone who doesn't understand um, doesn't need to understand. It's okay for them not to understand, and and that's what I tell my friends and my partners. It's okay not to understand. And actually, I I say um, that uh, I mean there's a world of stuff I could talk about. Like when when I was growing up, we I grew up. Um, you know, I was a child refugee, and um, my father's a poet, he's a writer, and so it was very difficult for him to make a living in Britain. And we, we lived under the, the cloud of, of all the politics that was going on in Iran and the revolution, and, you know, the assassins were sent to shoot my dad in London when I was 11 years old. So when I was 11 years old, everything felt so unsafe you didn't have safety. Um, we had to all go into hiding, and then we came back, and the police told my dad that he has to look, we have to look under our car for bombs. Oh. And so my dad would go, what does bomb look like? <laughs> I'm a poet, not a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this stuff was going on, so I retreated, and I never wanted to bother with my... my that thing I say about my son saying to me, it's made me the, the person I am. When I remember, he's saying that to look after me. Mm. And, the, and, you know, that's what children do. We look after our parents. We, we, we don't want to burden our parents. So I couldn't go up to my parents and say, I'm throwing up my food. What should I do? Had I, they would have helped me. But you can't. Some things like that need to be external, and I'm so good for all its horror, the internet. When someone was racist to our family, you know, when people wrote nasty stuff on our front door, you know, go home, pack it, whatever, we thought those people had power. With Twitter, I can write that, and there's an avalanche of support and you see that person that's written a vile message to the tenants of, of the... Te- Did you see this? Oh, God, yeah. The tower block uh, tenants. I can say to my children, the person that wrote that, telling you know, the foreigners to go home, that person doesn't get up with enthusiasm for their day every morning. They don't have a job they love. They don't have people that cuddle them, that love them. This is, this is, they're not in a position of power. We didn't know that as children, and I'm really happy that kids do. And I can't remember your original question. I can't stop
1: talking. Um, no, I, and I, I love to hear you talk. Oh. I love to hear you talk. Um, I did want to ask, actually, um, just culturally, mm-hmm. how do you think that affected your navigation through the things that you went through? Um, because, you know, I, I know that, you know, God love her. But if I was to tell my mum, oh, look, I've just... Eating like, like, you know, five burgers and I'd throw them all up, she'd be like, okay, let's just pray. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean?
4: <laughs> My mum would say. <laughs> yeah. Let, do you let's know what? just pray. Maybe, you know, yeah. the 12
0: steps is all about handing it over. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe that would have been a good thing. Um, it's. Right, so I. Oh, where shall I start? Are there any Iranians in the audience? Okay. Persian right. crew. And you'll know that Iranians talk about your weight the way the British talk about the weather. It's a way like you'll go and see someone that saw you like, you know, when you were ten and now you're twenty-five, and they'll go, Oh, I think you've put on (laughs) weights. And then you have to stand there politely where everyone discusses your body shape. And that was really actually so damaging and much as i love um, my at uh, say, i i speak fluent farsi and i think speaking fluent being bilingual is the thing that makes me absolutely um connected to my iranianness and i have to find ways my my son said to me stop finding ways for us to connect with our iranian culture we've got you and that was a kind How old of is he again? huh How old he's, is he he's again? 12 right. <laughs> do you know what he said to me when i was 3 I nearly wrote this in my letter. Um, I I was going through my divorce and I was um, a monster sometimes through stress. And one day I threw his shoes at the wall. I'll confess, my toddler's shoes, I threw them at the wall because he wouldn't put them on. And he said, age three, you're not angry with me, you're angry with someone else, but only I'm here. Ah, ah. They do, they do. At three, they see everything. And you—that is true. And as a writer, you—we spend our lives trying to get back to that three-year-old. Three, three
2: years old is when the brain is. Three sad. years old is when the brain is at its peak. You can learn any language. You—I'm t- no, serious. You talk to a three-year-old properly; they will tell you everything. I'm not joking. And if they can make the words, they can do it.
4: Well, you're not angry with me therapy that it's day. somebody
2: yeah. else but i'm but i'm here
1: incredible yeah. our next letter comes from ennia yeah
4: wow how do i follow that that was inspiring amazing so i wrote this letter on a yoga meditation retreat last week in jamaica
2: <laughs> as you and, do
4: yeah and uh We were saying backstage that we, you know, like I don't write anymore. Like it's, you know, I spend half the time on my phone and I'm just busy, 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 busy. So it's been really nice to just write. And we've sort of touched on some of the things I'm going to touch on in my letter about the labels and, you know, the feeling of being an imposter. And uh, that's kind of what I've written to my younger self about. Um, So here goes I'd rather be the first than one of many. I'd rather be a token. I'd rather be black and pushing for groundbreaking excellence than in the majority and comfortably average. These are the dominant voices in my head now, but they haven't always been very loud. This voice was silent in the mind of my younger self. So now I write to you with this letter. and remind you of the voice I hear now. There are many young, talented women of color that represent my younger self who, like me, know they have a gift inside them, but are afraid of the labels that come with breaking down barriers and succeeding. She's just a token. She ticks boxes. She's a sellout. So, Eni, the reality is that you cannot change being a black girl. You cannot change being a black girl that was given the gift of playing football as a five-year-old growing up in Birmingham. You cannot change the fact you enjoyed educating yourself beyond the confines of which society expected you to do so. You cannot change the fact you have worked twice you have to work twice as hard to achieve with a smaller margin for error than others. These might seem like barriers, but they are all advantages depending on which way you look at them. So use them and use them with pride. As they say now, use them with your chest. Try to see all the, try to see all of these aspects of yourself as advantages and not disadvantages, opportunities rather than obstacles. When you do, the fear of being first goes away. Unfortunately, others won't see these advantages, but will see only how your race, gender and identity challenge, challenges the box stereotypes that come to their mind for what you should be. And beware, these box expectations projected onto you sometimes come from your own race, Sorry, and beware, these boxed expectations projected onto you come from all races, even your own. When you were even younger than you are now, I think you settled for acceptance and shut out the sides of you that made you different. You were the only girl in the school football team and loved being one of the lads, but didn't actually realise you were different and didn't embrace that difference. Then when it came to represent England women's football team at 14 years old, you were so scared when you didn't have a British passport that you felt so un-British. You were afraid of your otherness. Fast forward a few years later, I'm proud that you embrace all sides of you at university. Your slight Brahmi accent, your Yoruba name, your love of English rich tea biscuits, and your random cravings for, jo- for jollof rice. The juxtapositions that lie within you are awesome and not to be boxed. So let's talk about the boxes. For starters, you cannot be boxed because you are multifaceted. There is a reason why the English language accommodates hyphens to connect multiple words together. If multiple words could fit into a small box and be defined as one, there wouldn't be hyphens to connect them. In the same way, you cannot be defined as one thing. Just a black girl, just a footballer. You are hyphenated with many different aspects to who you are in one. That's awesome that is unique, that is different, that's indefinable. So when you had the opportunity in 2008 to be the first female footballer to appear on Match of the Day, a football show that has become an institution, I'm proud that you overcame the fear of being called a tick box. You are a young black woman and you may tick that box for, for those that want to see it. You can't help that. However, what you should focus on and control is being the best tick box you can be. That's the way to change it. Because then they see your talent. Then they see your excellence, which shifts the stereotypical expectations they once had. How can you change those labels if you're not ready to be in the position to change it? They may, they may be surprised that the tick box token girl actually knows what she's talking about when analyzing football. But that's great. Life gets more interesting when you are in the position to change perspectives for the better. Imagine if you didn't go on the show those perspectives would stay the same. More importantly, being the first is super scary, but you you go up the elevator and get to open the elevator door for others that are just like you. I must warn you, though, you can't just rock up, look pretty, and tick the box. To be the best tick box ever, you have to to work hard and aim to be the most prepared person in the room. The responsibility of being the first weighs heavy, but embrace it. Because the opportunities are greater on the other side of that responsibility. As you found out, when you went on Match of the Day, you did did your research all on the latest football teams, headlines, players, and coaches. You felt relaxed on the show. You approached it as if you were talking with your friends and colleagues. So they invited you back. For the second time, and now I, want you to, I, I write to you having become the first female footballer to be a pundit for ITV at the Men's World Cup in 2018. I didn't write that to get a clap, but thank you. <laughs> there are now several other women and women of color in sports media doing their thing with excellence, embracing all the tick box labels thrown at them. They are owning their position, pushing for excellence, changing status quos, whilst being the best tick boxes they can ever be. Be ready for the tick box to be thrown at you. But when it is, duck out of its way, stand tall, be prepared and own your mistakes, knowing you can never please everyone when you change the status quo. There are many that benefit from the, state, from the status quo staying the same. They'll soon be left behind because there are a new generation of women that understand what it takes to realize their dreams, even if they are the first to achieve it. I wish I had this mindset at your age, but now I do, I thank God that I see these obstacles as opportunities. I'm proud to be part of a generation of women who are using their voice, talent and their feet to change the world, regardless of the boxes they're seen to tick. Life is so much more interesting when you ignore those labels and reach for what they thought was unreachable. So be the best token and enjoy the ride.):
1: <clears throat> Any, I felt the passion huh? I felt the passion in your words. <laughs> look, you, look, this is the whole thing. We're all, we're all speaking from the hearts and I, and yeah. I could almost feel a sense of and I say it's respectfully, anger in, yeah. in, in, in your words. Um, as well as as well as joy, celebrating what you've achieved, which is which is incredible. Um, I wanted to go back to um, well, yeah, your younger self, because that's why we're here today. Um, when when did it shift for you? When did you decide I'm not going to be what people expect me to be? Because what 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 were you doing to make you question your authenticity?
4: Well, um, growing up. I just wanted to fit in. That was literally it for Mm -hmm. me. Like, I, you know, grew up in Birmingham on a council estate with all these boys who, like, loved me because I was good at football better than them. And I was like, cool, like, this is me. You know, I didn't have any friends that were girls. I told them to call me Eddie rather than any because I just, you know, I didn't like the the other, the difference, the other. Um, So for the longest time, that was what I just wanted to be. I wanted to fit in that box um, and actually match of the day going on match of the day I think was the first time that I was challenged with that oh my god okay I'm going to be the first to do it and you know I just had a lot of people saying oh well they've only invited you on the show because you tick the box and we're in an age where they need you know they, they kind of need you know black women and, um, and the woman on the show um, and it was, it was literally like, oh well do I not go on the show like, am I going to just not go on the show because of that? So I think I was faced with that challenge of saying, okay, everyone's going to say that anyway. Um, but all I can do and all I can control is being the best pundit I can be on the day. Mm-hmm. I can't change being a black woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that really released something in me. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you know what's coming... Um, and you, you, you mentioned it earlier about you know we're in the social media age. You know it's par for the course. If you're on Twitter and you're you're a profiled person, you're gonna get shit. Like it's just the way it is. So I think in 2008 that was like the defining moment for me where I was like, okay, I know that you know I tick those boxes, but actually if I go on the show and I do well, that will fall away. People will go, actually she knows what she's talking about, mm. and that has been the shift you know now you're seeing it's almost become normalized now you're seeing female footballers on match the day on bt sport on sky and i'd like to think that i try i was part of shifting that because someone has to do it right someone has to be that first person um so i'm super proud but that wasn't me when i was younger like i would never have you know i would never have been that person because i just wanted to like fit in and um yeah and you know, yeah, you, you mentioned like you sort
1: of like social media and kind of uh, and go and get ground. I think that's something we've spoken about today. You know how social media can be freedom. You know, you can you can really find your your tribe on there. And you know, I think you've been. I think it depends yeah. what social
4: media is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's different. Um, sorry. No, 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 go go for it. Well, yeah, I think I think with Twitter, um, I, I find it very toxic. I find the space very toxic. And I think actually toxic sides of everyone come out on Twitter, whereas I think Instagram is a lot more positive. Um, so I'm also aware of what spaces to say what and post what. And, um, you know, I almost feel like I've got to put a shield on when, I, when I'm typing on Twitter, like, right, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> um, so but but it, it's just knowing that that's all gonna come yeah. you know as, as a black woman who you know was never gonna be english enough despite having a hundred caps for england i was never english enough you that's know what sure. i mean yeah. it was like you know so i for the longest time i was trying to be this like oh like england you know my name is any older like yeah. you know what i mean and and uh, uh, I have a lot of, you know, respect and love from England fans. I'm, I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but I think sometimes the, the desperation sometimes to fit in, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's a problem. Because the minute I started releasing all that, I felt more free in, in who I was and embracing all the different aspects of, of me. When, when you
1: were younger, would, would you have seen, you know, the the phrase token and ticking a box as a negative would you would you have been pointing the finger oh to? my god do you
4: think? yes I would have been like I'm not doing that mm-hmm. like wh- why would I put myself in that position whereas now I see it as like an opportunity to shift something and you know you, you spoke earlier about like you know saying saying no to things and now in my sort of career I'm really conscious of okay doing if I'm gonna say yes what is it gonna mean? Like what's the significance of it? Is it shifting something? Is it changing something? And maybe that's why you do see me sort of the first to do this, the first to do that, because I'm like, yeah, come on. And mm. and I know that there's so many other women that are coming that are following after. Mm. Whereas I just wasn't that kid at all. And I guess I guess when I was writing to my younger self, it was it was that conversation that like, no, like, you know, take it on as an opportunity, see it because you can move so much quicker mm. if you if you do what other people wouldn't do.
2: Can I can I just say that you know thank you for um, for your letter, you. and to be so young really to do to get to where you were, being an athlete is a very difficult thing anyway. To be a champion athlete is almost impossible, and to be it in a sport where so many people play it is literally impossible so i have to just applaud you oh, for thank that thank you so much Um and bonnie
1: Greer herself and, i love that Thanks. and <laughs> we've actually overran just because you know we're having a great time we're learning we're sharing we're talking um we come to our final letter now and it is from the brilliant afwa hirsch the Afua. um please speak to your younger
3: self <clears throat> thank you any thank you letter to my younger self I was watching you today as you sat under a tree, smoking because you wanted so much to fit in, to hide the softness of your still childlike body, the vulnerability of your presence in this world that is exciting yet unpredictable, lacking in the certainty and protectiveness you were lucky enough to grow in during early years. Your friends confronted you on something you had said earlier when you had called yourself black. They weren't really comfortable with that label, the baggage it carried, the unfamiliar weight of a history they knew nothing of, the familiar weight of prejudice we all knew of. They were offering you a way out of blackness. Don't worry, they said. We don't really see you as black. You're fine. You're one of us. They were trying to be nice, but never has a friendly gesture felt so poisoned You don't need anyone's permission for your identity. You are not looking for a way out of the culture, the civilization that you wear every day in your name, the texture of your hair, the smell of your mother's cooking, the inflection of your grandmother's reactions, the achievements of your ancestral revolutionaries. You think they are helping you fit in, but they are offering you belonging on their terms, terms they don't even understand. You aren't even sure if you have the right to be black. You're mixed race after all. Sometimes people say you are lucky to be half white, to have fair skin, a looser curl texture. What about your father, they say? You can't leave him out. You're not sure whether your personality, tastes, your lifestyle is authentic enough to earn the description of blackness. All you know is what you consume. You can't articulate that you don't get to choose. This world has racialized us all. This is how power has been built, distributed, and transferred through generations. And soon you will read the words of one of the mothers who most profoundly and directly speaks to you. Something as grotesque as the demonization of an entire race, wrote Toni Morrison, could take root inside the most delicate member of society, a child, the most vulnerable member, a female. You will learn this soon because every day, every night, in secret, you are learning. You read books by black women. You understand the suffering that went before, the innovation, the art and beauty of which they have been custodians. You listen to the sounds of the struggle. You study the history ignored and erased by your school. Your uncles give you magazines about politics in Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone and Côte d'Ivoire, biographies of Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey. You consume them quietly, lest anyone should regard you as a subversive presence in their midst. Your hair is a device. You think you braid it because you like the way it looks. But in truth, it's giving you access to a world whose community you crave. Your hair is bun and cheese instead of sausages and mash. Salons that play TLC instead of Oasis. Shops that dedicate themselves to your needs instead of boots that denies your existence. And when you return, you'll be questioned. How did your hair grow so quickly? How do they do that? (laughs) How do the ends stay in? How long did it take? How long will it last? And you will navigate the white spaces around you with this history of blackness on your scalp. And you will keep doing this all your life. But so much will change. You will stop shrinking yourself. Avoid imposing yourself in a place that seemed more straightforward without you. You will stop asking yourself whether your ideas can be valid when they have different frames of reference to the others around you. You will learn that being true to who you are in all its facets is the best thing you can offer the world with the work and the energy and the ideas you have to give. You will learn how to respond to the suggestion that you are okay because you are not really black. But most of all, you will realize that your struggle with your own identity is not about you. It's not about your genes, your hair, skin colour, or which parents' heritage you prioritise. It's about what you do. What causes will you ally yourself with? Will you be silent in the face of injustice? How will you dedicate your work to creating change? What values will you embody until they become a greater part of your being than the sum of your heritage? How will you make yourself useful? Everyone needs a community. Everyone needs a purpose. Sometimes we have to overcome the hurdles that make us wish away our own power before we can learn how to wield it. So own your crisis. Live it fully. One day it will allow you to write words that help others going through their own. But, now that it's a means, but know that it's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Your heritage will inspire your strength. It will fix the flux of time and culture, From the beginning of humanity into something that you make sense of in your own soul and this will align you with a mission that sees no race class or creed once you learn how to master it you will take all this anguish searching self-loathing and anxiety and convert it into the stamina to challenge unfairness dishonesty injustice and depression it will be a journey it will never be complete but the joy is in each step you take in the direction towards making things better. And you will do this knowing that all your ancestors on both sides of your history would be proud.
1: Afua, probably one, even though we're still getting to know each other, we mutually fangirl, probably one of the bravest public figures that I know. Thank you. Absolutely. If your younger self knew what um, you would be dealing with professionally (laughs) on a fairly regular basis with people committed to misunderstanding you, do you think you would have taken the same professional
3: path? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But you know why? Like this is probably sounds strange, and I'm not in any way um, being dismissive of the kind of toxicity that you were referring to on Twitter. I mean, toxic Twitter is kind of omnipresent. Twitter, it's sounds bit. But when I was growing up, I I would have been so thrilled to know that one day I would have the confidence to stand up to people. Because when I was growing up, I, and I think like so many of us have said on this stage, I used to shrink myself. And I craved the approval of people around me. And I avoided confrontation. And the thing is that the things that I find myself engaging in debates about now, I mean, debates is a kind of uh, a diplomatic word for them. But um, the, the, the things that are being drawn out now, they were always there. You know, I always sensed them instinctively, but I didn't have a language for them. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence to own them or articulate them and in a way now there's like a I know this sounds counterintuitive but there's like a transparency people are revealing themselves on live tv and you know (laughs) while denying racism they are performing racism in in the most obvious way and so I know that it's frustrating it's draining but once you see it it becomes a step towards being able to counter it Mm. so it's a high price to pay I sometimes feel engaging with that but at the same time, I think the younger me sensed that we hadn't even got to the step of seeing it. Everything is coded, and I think that's the thing about Britain. You know, we so um, we we so kind of perform this politeness. We have such deep denial. We have such a bizarre relationship with our history that there is so much that is never said, and we can't even get to changing it until we talk about it. So uh, I think my younger self would be all right with this.
2: <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I ask a question after Um I mean, this has happened to me, and I watched it happen to you. It's very interesting. There are about four or five guys in the literary world that, and you know what I'm about to say, okay, um, and they are sent, and actually, you know how powerful your work is because if these guys show up to review you, and it's always about, uh, if you're a woman, a black woman, it's always about, A, your anger. Uh, always your anger. B, you don't actually know what you're talking about. Um, three, your frivolity. They try to trivialize it. And I've had those four guys on me. And I noticed those four guys. Also awesome the on apocalypse. You. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I don't think like a lot of people know that there is a cadre of people out there who are literally sicked on black women but, whenever But it's want.
3: really um, one of those examples of the kind of fragility that's going on. So, for example, the Times reviewed my book. The, review of, the person who reviewed my book for the Times, which is the newspaper of record in this country since the 18th century. So it's not just a uh, superficial newspaper It's regarded as authoritative. So the person who reviewed my book for The Times said that um, it was all polemic. There was no evidence when I had, I think it was about 450 sources cited in my book. He said that I smoke a lot of weed. I actually had to check with my publisher to make sure that wasn't like a literary phrase that I'd never heard of (laughs) because there is not a single reference to weed in my book. He hadn't actually read my book. He libeled you. He had, the, he had the audacity to look at me and say she smokes a lot of weed and that's what her Slander. book is about. I'm not even making this it up. It's just, you know, and it was one of those moments, again, where I was like, there was a weird relief because if he had been more sophisticated, then it would have been more kind of challenging to counter, but he wasn't even engaging. He yeah. wasn't, yeah. And, and this is the thing, you know, I think I can take on anyone when it comes to a debate. If you know, if you if you've done the work and you have a different view, let's talk. I am one hundred percent about that. But when people know nothing, haven't bothered to educate themselves in a basic way, haven't even read your book, and they want to have an argument, and it's about four it. of them. It's
2: just and, four, and there are guys. four of Yeah, them. it's only a handful of guys. Bonnie is not had, exaggerating. These people. No, dudes, I was on the front page of the wrong. Times too. The what? only time I've ever been on there ever, and it was to slam me. By the same forces, and it's important to know that when you write, they come for you. They come for you.
0: You know that the equivalent exists in stand-up comedy as well. I can so believe that? Seriously, it's, it's there are there are four. <laughs> it's weird, and they've been working for years. These four um, <clears throat> white gentlemen, and. And they, well, they're old now. Um, They, they have, they wield quite a lot of power in forming tastes for comedy because they decide if you're not white, you better be political or talk about your background. Otherwise, um, you're being. I got told willfully apolitical. Or if her story is to be believed. Or, oh, Reese, I wrote a book about leaving Iran the Iranian Revolution as a child. For a year, I, I, I worked on another book, and the uh, comment came back from the publisher that, mm, yeah, could she instead write a book about her childhood coming over to Britain and the Iranian Revolution? So, they told me to write the book I'd already written. <laughs> And it's a problem, and I don't know how to hold these people to account because my friend Paul Chowdhury, um Indian origin, filled Wembley Stadium, right, as a stand-up comedian, right, the only Asian uh, or non-white actor fill uh, in British to fill um, anyway. These guys, two of them, wrote in their comments, filled it. They're all Asian and black though they actually wrote that like as an audience doesn't matter guys, she's not that successful because it's not a real audience you know, it's, and I don't know how to hold these people to account and I try, I have meetings with producers,
2: I've spoken to a a, a big wig you have to name them first of all okay Mm. it's tough you know what? It's Brian Logan from the Guardian here. Name, <laughs> Clara. Can I just
4: Can I just say, actually, you know, um, I'm not sure the, the four equivalent work in, in football, but I th- there's definitely institutional, you know, pressure. If, and, and there is that whole, you know, stay in your lane, you know, don't get above your station. But to, to Bonnie's point, um, you know, when I, when I was going through a big case with the FA, I think it's well-documented... Um, one of the things I did do, and there was journalists that, you know, they they were kind of playing on the stereotypes of me being an angry, you know, black girl that was disrupted to the team. All of it lies. And um, I I, I went at them. Like, I went at them on Twitter and used the platform to try and expose the fact that, I mean, this is ridiculous. That's right. And what I found was people then were attacking those journalists and, and almost standing up for me. Um, and I, I do think that it is about kind of exposing that... That, you, Ill, that, that sort of to. lack of education because these people are powerful, but they're powerfully stupid sometimes. But the, but the problem... They're all, most of the time.
3: Yeah. But, but the problem is... Um, well, the problem I deal with in my work is that I feel as if they still get rewarded for that behaviour. So there's a certain uh, morning breakfast show host... <laughs> Naming any names. Who he's blocked me. He's blocked me, by the way.
2: (laughs) Because I name these people. I just almost don't
3: want to lower the tone of this gathering with his name. I name name him. I name him. But we all know who he is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the problem is that it's become his brand, right? You kind of roll out a black woman, ideally, but any person of colour will do, ultimately, and then you just kind of shout at them, and. That works. People watch it. People talk about it, and you know the the dilemma I have is that I think it's important for our voices to be in that space, but at the same time, I don't want to legitimise that space. That's not a conversation. Make a joke out of it, and it shouldn't always
1: be on you as well. Sorry, it shouldn't always be on you.
3: Right. I mean, and now there are there you know there are more than four of us now. You know. So, but, but, but all of us experience the same completely unacceptable treatment. Yeah. And like you, I say no 99 times out of 100. And the reason is that I don't want to send a message to other people watching that. You know what, when you go to work, your boss can talk to you like that mm. or your colleague can talk to you like that. And you should be expected to account for yourself, to justify your existence, to, just, to provide basic facts. But, but
2: in the go on the Question truth. Time, go on these shows, and humiliate these people. It's not difficult to do because of what you just said, Alpha. well. They're not intelligent. So but, you it's easy to humiliate them, and that's our job. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... <laughs>
1: And on that note, I am very proud of all the women that our younger selves grew up to be. <laughs> very proud. Um, I genuinely wish we could talk for longer, but we, we've literally run out of time. Thank you so, so, so very much for um, coming this evening. And please, can we Beautiful salute the wonderful audience. Shafika Sandhu. Beautiful Sunday, audience. Beautiful Bonnie audience. Greer. You are with the biggest. Eli aluko Shout out to Intelligence Square. Right and big up Gelden. And yeah, thank thank you for thank you for hearing us. I hope you go home and write some letters.